Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Kerry Cunningham of Six Cents. Very hard for me to say that. Um, about leads, and uh, basically the concept here is: Are the leads weak, or are you? talking about how you're handling your leads, what's being done right, what's being done wrong, and uh, what you should be doing with them. Kerry Cunningham has uh, 25 years of experience in B2B demand generation and management, spanning the gap between sales and marketing, which makes him the perfect person for this uh, for this topic today. And a lot of more interesting things about Kerry I'm going to want to get into later, but let's uh, jump straight into the topic here. Kerry, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Kerry, you said something before we went on the air uh, about marketing. I think in general, it yeah. was you, you said everything we've been doing is wrong. Correct. And, <laughs> and we didn't get into it because I wanted to save it for the air. But let's just jump straight into it. Yeah. When talking about leads and how they're being handled and marketing, what, what do you what do you mean by that? Were you saying everything we're doing as as in marketers and salespeople or or your company? Where was where was that going? Yeah, so um, everything that we're doing to identify the buyers that sales should be focused on, uh, let's we can have it constrained to that. So everything that marketing has been doing, not to attract and engage, because a lot of this stuff has been right for getting the right people to come to the website and come to the events and that kind of stuff. That's okay. Um, but uh, Everything else about how we identify those buyers and get them ready and prioritize them and give them the sales uh, has been dead wrong. So uh, I'm going to adjust the quote a little bit. Like everything, almost we've been doing is wrong. <laughs> almost everything. Just about, yeah. Just about everything we've been doing is wrong. Okay. Um, so let's let's jump. I mean, I guess not jump. That is the topic. But uh, <laughs> leads. Let's get straight to it. Yeah. You have a different outlook, I think, than the industry in general on leads, how they should be generated, how they should be handled, uh, basically what the problem with leads is. It's most people's company's issue is how do we get leads and how do we close? Them? I mean, that's a company, get leads, close them, get leads, yeah. close. Them. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to solve that problem. So what's your, your take on this? So here, here's the take and a little bit of background, I think would help under, help put some context on, um, why I not only think this is true, but why I actually know it's true. Um, so I spent seven and a half years or so at Serious Decisions and then at Forrester as an analyst in the demand management and then marketing operations practices. In that time, I looked at hundreds of B2B demand gen lead management functions, literally. And my job was to try to improve them, help you get better conversion rates. That's what everybody has wanted to do. Uh, and of course, I wasn't alone. I had uh, colleagues who were doing that. One of my colleagues and I in particular uh, worked particularly hard, particularly closely on this topic with our uh, clients for a long time. What we discovered uh, was that, or what we realized was that you can only get people's lead conversion rates to go from absolutely freaking dead awful to, okay, this just sucks a little bit less. And right. sucks a little bit less is about as good as you can ever do with lead conversion rates. And that means less than 1% from lead to revenue in almost all cases in B2B. But even if it's better than that, it's 1% or it's 2%. Uh, so the failure rate of that particular enterprise across virtually all of B2B is like 98, 99% or higher. So right. why would you keep doing that? So, so we're looking at that and we're talking to our clients and trying to figure out why is it so bad? Um, and what we discovered is that if you look at the marketing data from a B2B organization and you ask the question, how many leads do we have? And then how many accounts are there in those leads? The ratio is never one-to-one. -one. And the minute I say that, nobody is shocked about it, right? You have multiple leads from some of the organizations that are in your marketing data. And then if you ask the question, well, are the ones that have multiple leads more likely to turn into opportunities and then into revenue? The answer comes back, yes. And it's kind of like a no shit yes. Like, right, you're getting more swings at the ball, kind of. Well, it's like, what it really is, is if, if one person comes to your website and looks at your content, that is a signal that they're interested in your content, full stop. 
It doesn't mean anything else by itself, at least not until you know some other things. Or right? sometimes they just want to see what a blog looks like because they're thinking of starting one. Good. Like, but they're likely interested in whatever the content piece yeah, is. Yeah, you could say approximately they're interested in your content somehow. Now, you know, the history of this uh, is when we first started having websites with forums on them, uh, there wasn't even Google when that first happened. And everybody who came to your website was a desperate person who wanted to buy your stuff, right? Because <laughs> that was they wouldn't otherwise find you. Mm-hmm. But over time, we got much better at creating content and SEO and all of that stuff to help people get to our websites and find our content. So what's the actual logical, natural result of that? More people will come, yes, but fewer of them will be in market. Now, right. you, now you so- can be found by anybody. Early on, it's like your business was a temple on top of a hill and the people who hiked that hill to get there really (laughs) wanted to be there for a reason. They didn't just happen by. And then you put a booth inside the 7-Eleven on the corner. Right. And you're like, wow, we have so many more people coming by now. No, you don't. (laughs) Everybody's there, right? So that's good. I mean, you want, if you're a brand in a space, you want people to come into your website. You want people looking at your stuff and thinking you're smart. No, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, the way that we went about trying to prioritize and figure out which of those people really was part of a buying organization that should go to sales was to say, well, maybe it matters how much content they consume. And uh, there are a couple of problems with that. Uh, one, no, it doesn't. Uh, people have time on their hands or they don't. And uh, you know how much content they consume just unfortunately doesn't mean anything. Um, If you think about your own behavior, anybody who's hearing this, think about your own behavior when you have time on your hands, when you're on a call that you don't have to participate in, you go out and you putz around, you look around and how much time you spend on a particular website and how many things you consume probably doesn't have anything to do with what your company is likely to buy, Mm -hmm. right? So that's problem one. Problem two is that when you have just one person on your website, there is absolutely no other way to distinguish that person uh, from an organization that's that's really in market. But if you notice that there are two people from that same organization looking at the same stuff, the likelihood of that just being an accident, of that being noise, drops dramatically, right? The, it's, it's much less likely to be a coincidence. And if three people from the same organization of four or five and onward are doing the same thing, I mean, everybody in the world recognizes that the minute you say it, they go, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? But the systems and processes that we've had, mostly marketing automation, don't allow you to see it. Like marketing app automation, Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot, they have no way of telling you that here's one guy from this account on your website and there's two more. Mm-hmm. They just say, here's one guy, <laughs> pass it on, right? right. Um, and so that was the big thing that got missed. Uh, you know, the folks at uh, HubSpot, Eloqua, and Marketo, I think for the most part, said, what's the, what's the quickest way we can do this lead prioritization thing? And they picked how much content, basically. And that became the standard, but it was wrong. And so the problem is now we've got an entire industry over the last 15 years that has grown up on lead scoring equals one person, how much content? And that was just never the right answer, unless you sell to very, very small businesses. So it's, you're, you're kind of talking about first party web intent here. Yeah, and that's a, a, a great way to talk about it in a sense, because um, everybody's comfortable with the idea of there being third-party intent. Um, what I try to do at uh, Serious Decisions in Forrester is say, look, your leads, whether it's an, a score up MQL or somebody just filled out a form, um, the traffic on your website and third-party intent, they're all the same thing. They're just layers of evidence about who might be in market for the kind of thing that you sell. And yeah, it's good to know the people's names. So getting them to the website and having them fill out a form, that's great, right? That's, that's, a, that's a win. Um, and it's a better signal than if they're there just anonymously. And it's a better signal than third-party intent. But it's not nearly as better as we think it is, and not until you look at how many are there, right? So like if I've got one lead, I do this exercise all the time with uh, people at, uh, when I'm doing speaking engagements, that kind of stuff. It's like, think about a situation in which uh, you have one MQL. And if you have one MQL and you know that there's one other person on that website who isn't an MQL yet, you would and think- wow, For the really listeners, cool. we might have some, some beginner marketers or small business owners. MQL is marketing qualified lead. Right. Um, 
you know, it hasn't been qualified by sales yet, but marketing has said, hey, this is, we looked at this and, and it's a lead. Yeah, and it typically gets that way by, uh, by saying, we'll have a threshold for how much content a person looks at on, on my website. And if they look at a lot of content, they become this marketing qualified lead thing. Um, so, you know, I've looked at the data over the years. There's zero uh, mathematical statistical correlation between how much content a person consumes and whether their company is going to buy something. There's just, it doesn't exist. So that's, that's done. But again, if there are two people from the same organization doing the same thing, that becomes a much stronger signal. And then every person you can add that does the same thing from the same organization, it validates and enhances that signal. And that's really, so it's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's not more complicated than just saying, you know what, we just got to notice if there's more than one. Um, so one person, it's almost, it seems like a crime thing or something like that. Something happens once it might've been an app, but right. you know, so your wife drowned in the bathtub. Once <laughs> with a, by the time that th- happens with a third wife, you're like, that's a yeah. little bit too much of a coincidence. It, it's ex- that's exactly right. Yeah. So all of these things happen in one off, who cares? Right. But when it happens more often now, like there's in, in the details of the, the way that data works, it's kind of interesting. Uh, at least for us nerds who like to talk about this stuff. So if you have 100 leads uh, on your website, chances are 50 of those leads are what I like to call onesies. They're just people who came by themselves. Nobody else from their organization has come to your website last, say, 60 days. So set those people aside and forget them. Let them chew up your content until they bring back a friend. I mean, they could be cycled into some sort of marketing cycle, some sort of cadence of outreach that's not sending the sales as a lead. You yeah, could do something with them if you don't have a glut of leads, let's say. Yeah, I mean, what I would... different than nobody, but don't waste a human time on them. You could, although I think um, the a more passive approach than what we've normally done would be better. So if, you've, if they have come to your website and filled out a form, you know, part of the reason form fill rates are so low, form fill rates are 3%. The reason they're so low is because people get uh, follow-up afterwards, right? right? People don't want that. So oh, I think yeah. for the good of all mankind, we just say, you know, if somebody comes to your website and they're the only person there, leave them alone. Um, do a good job on your website of putting content in the right places and having it indexed and, and coded properly. Use something that's going to present them with the next best piece of content for them. So enable them right there, but then leave them alone. Right. Yeah. Just leave them alone until there's some other evidence. Now, that other evidence could be somebody else from their company comes and starts doing the same thing. Could be de-anonymizing your web traffic and noticing, oh, you know what, there are five people from that company on our website, but four of them are anonymous. You know, if I see that now, I think I got to take some action. I only one lead, but I got to take some action or even third party intent. You know what? These guys are out looking around at our competitors and all of that. And this guy's on our website. Yeah. You know what? We should pay attention to that guy, right? That's somebody to pay attention to, but take all the onesies just for, you know, that's like half your leads, set them aside in the rest of the leads, the other half of them, it's very, it's very lumpy. And what you see in the other half is that sometimes there's three, sometimes five, seven, nine different people from an organization at the same time. That's where you focus your attention to qualify those particular opportunities. And when you qualify those opportunities, the likelihood that they turn into business for your company goes up dramatically. Hmm. Leave the other ones alone until they come back. And that's to me, you know, it's like a different approach. So you're taking like content viewing intent and crossing it over with account-based marketing kind of and to yeah if so if we were to simplify this down to one thing it's just a single touch means nothing ignore it like enable them let hmm. let let that person chew up your content and become a fan let them breathe a little bit let them breathe yeah (laughs) they're they're not that into you yet uh you know you've got to give that time you don't want to be the guy at the bar that if a woman looks your direction you jump on her like wait relax that's it yeah everybody who looks at you isn't interested in getting married that's all also where the exit sign is over your shoulder so yeah (laughs) oh you're looking at me me no behind me okay (laughs) what (laughs) exactly right yeah okay so that i think we i mean we dug into it kind of simplified the concept here of telling people stop harassing uh, harassing everyone the first time they look at you um how can people execute that like what's the next step 
once let's assume all the listeners bought in, they're like, yeah, okay, good point. <laughs> Let me do that. Now, how do I do it though? How do I, how do I pull that off? How do I get all the necessary information and to, to adjust how we're handling leads right now? Yeah. So what I would say is uh, one, don't even take my word for it here. Go look at your data uh, because your data will tell you immediately how big of an issue this is. Uh, so what we normally would see uh, when I was uh, an analyst is between one and a half and two and a half leads on average per account. So if you look over a 30, 60, 90 day period, that's what you'll see in the data. So it's and, and if you see something like that, then the next thing you do is say, okay, how many of those leads are the onesies? And if that onesies number is more than about 30% uh, or less than about 50% or so, that tells you that you have a ton of what we call buying groups in your data, a bunch of buying teams in your data. And that's going to tell you that you really need to focus on those buying groups. So one we're going to be asking you to do some difficult things in a little bit. So I want you to understand that you've got this issue, you've got this problem. It's something that, uh, that you should address. And also, while you're looking at that, think about how much it costs to get all of those people to your website, right? It's expensive. And if, if you get them to fill out a form, that's really expensive at the end of the day. So what you're doing here is you're trying to make better use of the investment you've already made. That's the mindset you've got to be you've got to be thinking about here. There's an expense that people overlook sometimes as well, um, and that is abusing your sales team. <laughs> um, really, though, when you I mean, I my company's in the data business and we always tell people, you know, the first bite of the pizza better be the best bite. Um, if you give salespeople leads to pursue and let's go Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross here. You know, it fits in. I can't believe it took us this long to mention it. But if you give them leads and the first couple they go look to pursue look like crap and they are yeah. crap, then they're just like, oh, these leads from this source, whatever the name, when mm -hmm. I see these, I just know they're a waste yeah. of my time. I need to close business. That's my job. Yeah. I'm not going to waste time with these leads anymore. If I have some mechanism where I have to pursue them, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to technically make the call, hang up, move on to the good leads. I want the good leads. Good I'm leads, not going to yeah. waste my time on the shit leads. When you, so when you pollute your sales team with, uh, from marketing with, you know, single visit to the site people and say, oh yeah, go call these guys and hunt them down. Eventually the sales team's like, well, I guess I better start Googling people to pursue because marketing is just giving me garbage. And then you have a much bigger problem on your hands. You've, you've got burned salespeople that could be producing for you that are now, why do you even have a marketing? They're out doing their own hunting and gathering. Um, so there's a massive issue with uh, how you, what leads you push and how can really burn your sales team and your sales and marketing connection. You lose the trust there and you have an even bigger problem than um, some waste uh, Frequently managers seem to think of the employees as robots. We're just like, if I give them these, they'll pursue them. It's like, no, no, they've got, okay. I'm sure you have way more thoughts on this than I do. Even yeah, you've, you've studied uh, psychology. I, I, I believe um, uh, like they're humans and they have thoughts and they're going to, you know, yeah. develop these, these things in their mind where they just say, Oh, did, now marketing is my enemy. And then you have this massive issue where, You've lost the locker room and I'm um, just keep throwing out. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm with it. <laughs> stuff here. So that's a whole nother area where by not properly handling the leads and thinking you can just throw everything at sales and like, oh, they're going to be happy. We're giving them so much stuff. You're creating way larger problems um, because you're, you're losing them. Yeah. Like you're, you're destroying what could be there trying to give them too much. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. You know, salespeople have, uh, it's easy to say, just keep calling them. And, and we all know that, look, you're never going to have, uh, I mean, the hit rate for a sales rep on opportunities, you know, if they're lucky, it's like 10, 25% of the opportunities that they really work turn into business. So there's going to be a lot of failure there. Um, what we, we need to be able to do is make sure that we're doing everything we can to give them uh, something good to compete against. And that's the, that's the thing that a marker has to be thinking about. Now, the marketers have been thinking about that, but the way that they've been going about doing that prioritization and setting up sales is just wrong. And that's the thing that we were just talking about, right? So if you, if the way to do it right is to notice when multiple people from an organization are looking at you, 
even if they're anonymous on your website, if you de-anonymize that traffic and notice that they're there, that is going to give sales a much better opportunity to compete. Because what you're saying now, one, you can't tell which leads are the good leads uh, by looking at each individual one. Like you can't look at them and go, okay, that leads a good lead. You have to look around and see if that lead brought a friend. The but best sales title- will try. Sales can tell. They know you gave me this type of lead and it was garbage. Everything that looks like that, I'm going to throw out. Yeah, and that's also going to be a mistake. Right, but you'll train them to do that if you give them a couple bad leads in a row in a certain format. They just start recognizing the format and filtering it out. Like it's not, they're going to do it. You say they shouldn't, but they're going to. So They are going to, yeah. (laughs) So the the key is you have to provide the context. Uh, And the context is, one, we know that here's, here's a lead. So we know that this person been on our website, they're looking at content. Here's what they're looking at. But if, but that person consuming that content looks like every other person consuming that kind of content and you can't tell. So what you need to provide is the context. So there's that person. We also know that two other people from that company have been on our website looking at the same stuff. Those people are anonymous. They haven't filled out a form yet, but we know they're there, right? And we know that uh, from third-party intent that that company has a lot of traffic looking for uh, solutions that that kind that we sell, right? So we've got three layers of evidence, sales rep, that says these guys are in market and they're going to buy from somebody, right? And this is the guy that we have. You're kind of jumping past. There's a whole nother layer behind that of yeah, this. Okay. This is a good target company. This is this is this is a relevant type of contact that uh, that has hit this. Um, because you will see multiple touches sometimes from companies that don't make sense. And you can say, oh, well, that's not even a potential customer. They must have something else going on. Maybe <laughs> right. yeah, maybe yeah. an SDR is going to check with them and see if there's a, a vertical that you've been ignoring that you shouldn't. But um, uh, yeah, that's having, fair. having them yeah. in the proper target even. One other thing I want to get to before you dig into this too much. Um, I get the feeling there's certain companies this doesn't really apply to. Um, I mean, there's, you talk, we're looking at small businesses, sometimes mm-hmm. companies with a small product value, a software as a service uh, offering, something like that, where a single touch is all they ever get, maybe, or maybe their target audience is small businesses. And you're like, yeah. look, they don't have enough people to have multiple touches. Um, so is there a audience that this is targeted for and not targeted for kind of? Sure. Uh, so you know, the way the numbers break out, if you're selling something that's below 50K, and this is probably from about the 25 to 50K range, the average number of people who are some way involved in the buying process is seven, right? So below 25K-ish, you could think that, you know, you if you go down to 10 or 5,000 bucks, there may only be one or two people who actually matter that you talk to. The, the, the question you have to ask yourself, and this is why I would like everybody, no matter what size your business, to go look at, if you have marketing automation and you know who's coming to your website and filling out forms, go look at the data. That will tell you whether this is a problem for you. So don't take my word for it. Don't take other people's stats. Go look at your data. And if you see, the, the, the question to answer is, are there multiple people? And then if there are multiple people, was that more likely to become business? Or at I'd least say one, get- um, one yeah. data point that can simplify looking at the data for people on this as well to see how much of this applies to you is start with your sales and then work backward and say, okay, we closed this person. What was the, let's go back and see where did they come from? And then go like do an ABM expansion on it and say, what other touches do we have in this company? Um, You know, are are they, are 90% of our sales a one man shop? Well then, okay. I I don't need to listen to that episode again. Yeah. Tell (laughs) that guy to buzz off. (laughs) This isn't not every uh, piece of, uh, knowledge is for every person. Correct. Um, that's what I was trying to make sure some people listening might be really confused. Yeah. Like, I don't see how this would work for me. I don't see how this, well, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> it's not, maybe it's not maybe for it you, yeah. but there's a definite segment of, of a business that this is um, good practice for. Okay. Yeah. So we got past that disclaimer. Don't get too confused if it's not for you. Um, moving on, we, you were, I think you were about to tell us exactly how to pull this off. Right. Uh, so, and the first part was, Remember, go look at your data. Right? Don't take my word for it, but don't ignore it just because you think it might not. Go look, find out for sure. So worst case scenario, you'll find something else. Like look yeah. at your sales and track back and you'll see something of interest, even if <laughs> even yeah. if it doesn't uh, shed light on this. 
So let's presume that everybody who's still listening and hasn't, uh, you know, turned this off, turned this down is now uh, in a company where, you know, you're going to look at this and you're very likely to see multiple uh, people per organization. So now you, what you want to do is make sure that you bring to the attention of your sales reps, the organizations that send multiple people to your website. So that's what we're trying to accomplish. There's some very low tech, lo-fi ways to do it. And then we could talk about the, the fancier ways to do it. So the low tech way to do it is if you've already got leads that you're sending a sales rep, whether it's uh, because you've scored them and they become MQLs or you just send every one, whichever way, whenever you send one lead now to a sales rep, we want to look back to see, has there been anybody else from that organization who's come around in the last 30, 60, 90 days, kind of depending upon what your sales cycle is. So you just want to notice and, and bring that to the sales rep's attention. And that may be what, what more, more organizations will do than not is just do a report once a week that, uh, that's, that sorts by account all of the leads that have come in for the last couple of months. Notice where you have multiples and then make sure that the sales reps know that. And if you have an SDR, BDR team or something like that, make sure that they know that so that you're not missing any of those situations. BDRs, especially if they're involved, they're because they are higher volume and they're seeing so many things and most of them don't go anywhere, they're, they're not that likely to notice that they have, you know, three weeks apart, I got leads from the same company. They're or here's what, this is frustrating for me. I, I love what you're saying here. Um, years ago, when we first implemented a CRM, I was very confused and we actually got an open source one so we could scrap things and and maybe leads are handled a different way now, but the way all CRMs seemed to work at the time was a lead would come in and it would be flagged as a lead and it was not connected to a company mm. until it was, in, until yeah. it was like converted, it didn't even get connected to a company. So you couldn't even see that it was one of many different things. And what really frustrated me with that was you'd have a, an account rep working an account you wouldn't know there was that lead was for an existing account until it was converted. Uh, and again, maybe it's evolved. This has been years since I've looked yeah. at, the, at, at the systems. Maybe it's hopefully it's evolved past that, but we scrapped the whole lead system because we were just like, Hey, when a lead gets entered in the system, now we're just entering it as a contact in the company. So if that company is already assigned to a rep, they're pursuing it. If there's mm -hmm. a sales development rep pursuing them, it's just added to their. So when they see the one person, they see all the rest. I think, you're talking really about clustering these it's account-based marketing confused me when it first came out and I realized, Oh, it's cause that's what we've been doing. We're, we cluster all of our leads for an account together yeah. anyway. Cause yeah, you don't want five different uh, sales development reps pursuing five different people at the same company. It's so disconnected and, and not yeah. useful. It's like, if you can put those all into one person's hands and have them pursue all five of them at once, you're, just so much more likely to get somewhere yeah. than this crazy disconnection. And then sometimes you get two account managers pursuing the same account. It's, it's so, it's such a waste. Um, so it seems like that's what you're saying. It's like, Hey, that is, yeah. condense these together into a league cluster, pursue them as one. Exactly. Right. And you know, so one, it's make sure that you notice when it happens. Right. And then um, so think about what you do, what most say BDR teams or even reps in a lot of cases do. If it's a BDR team, then they probably have some discipline and, and for every lead that they get, they make 15 attempts or 20 attempts or whatever it is. If it's a sales rep, it's a lot less consistent and they'll make one or two or something like that. And you never know. Um, either way, what you, as a marketing organization, what you have to do is ensure that this thing that you've paid to create that looks like a really good potential opportunity gets worked properly. And you've got to bring that to the attention of sales. So it's on marketing to, you know, if you need to make a report that shows here's an, here's some accounts. We sent you leads. Here's the accounts where you got multiple leads in the last couple of months. There needs to be a different level of effort applied to those, right? There's just more evidence that there's something happening where you have more evidence, you have more investment. So, you know, the way I say it, especially for like a BDR team is if you've got just one lead and that's all, you know, you're going to make your 15, 20 attempts. That's all you can really invest there because it's probably not going to turn into something. But if you've got two or three different pieces of evidence, two or three leads, leads plus intent, whatever, now you increase the level of investment to find out what's going on. And at some point, if you get two, three, four leads from a place, 
the cadence that you run against it becomes get your ass in there and don't come home until you know what's going on and we can compete for that business because there's something happening right picturing um what's going to end up happening is if that whether it's a salesperson a business development rep when we say sdr bdr sales development rep, business development rep kind of same thing it's a pre-sales uh role um that person if you gave them two leads one of them was a cluster of five people and one of them was a single contact and they have, let's say they're going to make, they're supposed to make 15 calls to each. They're going to make three calls to the single contact and move all their calls, focus time on the other one. Cause they want to win. And they know this is a better opportunity. You're going to pursue the better opportunities. So you're basically helping them focus their time on the better opportunities. And I would imagine when you do your lead handling this way, I, I would almost guarantee the calls per by sales, by sales development reps goes up on these leads because that trust factor, they're like, oh, I'm not just going to throw the lead away after one call and say, yeah. I did my job. There's a deal here. Probably this is not a shit lead. Right. This, is a, this is a good lead. They're going to buy from somebody. Uh, and it's up to you now, whether it's us or somebody else, right? That's, that's the idea. You've got, I just think, layers of evidence. Forget about whether, I mean, we need to use the terms leads and intent and all of that stuff. But for a second, forget about that and just think about, think about it like a cop. Think about it like a detective or something. What, what's the body of evidence that I have that this account is going to be buying something from somebody? And if you've got a very weak body of evidence then you can't really afford to invest much in finding out, right? But if you've got a bunch of pieces of evidence, even if they're a mixed mash of evidence, you got to think, okay, more investment in that one. We got to do that. So for marketing, your job, you're producing leads. They're coming in. Your job is to make sure that the ones that really represent the best opportunities are brought to the attention of sales, the BDR team or whatever, and that, that the right effort level of effort is applied. Um, and it's your job to make sure that the organization knows that that's happening. Because if you're marketing, it's your job to optimize the output from that, right? And that is to win over sales by getting them the right things and give them the evidence that this is the right thing. Right. Because sales knows I usually make six calls before, and then I get the person on the phone and they tell me, no, we're not interested. I was just poking around. We have no budget. Right. And they're like, they see that coming. They're like, I recognize this pattern. Here's a single person that visited our website and saw content. I'm going to make a dozen calls. They're going to tell me nothing happening, not interested. But when you show them this other pattern, they're like, oh, I'm not going to make two calls and say I did my due diligence. They're like right. something. Yeah, something's actually happening here. There's been a crime committed. <laughs> there has, <laughs> yes. Uh, and you may have to dig a lot, right? Uh, just because you know that a crime has been committed, like you're 100% sure the crime has been committed, it doesn't mean it's easy to solve. Uh, that You're still going to have to apply effort. And that's, that's the sales part of the equation is just because there's a ton of evidence doesn't mean that they're going to answer the phone the first time you call or the fifth time, right? You're still going to have to work hard. Um, but the, the payout from that effort is more likely. Uh, and that's really, I mean, that's what you can do. The B2B, that's kind of how it is. It's a numbers game. And it's, I mean, you're giving them motivation, basically. You're saying, look, we did this filtering for you. And now they're going to be much more motivated. The opposite of saying, these leads are always shit. We're not going to bother. Now they're, they're going to really go hunting down because they're like, wow, marketing has their shit together and they're giving me good stuff. Yeah. These guys right. really, there's a good chance they'll buy if I can get through to them. And then they're just hammering it. I like, I like one of the things you said earlier uh, about this, because you really, if, if you're on the marketing side of this and you're listening to this, you need to think about not just delivering a leader prospect, but delivering it in a way that sells that prospect to the sales team, all right? That, that allows the sales team to understand why they should invest their time. And this sounds a little, maybe a little too California, but it's, you know, they're going to, they need to be emotionally invested in whether that's worth their time. And they know that they're going to get rejection a lot. That's not easy. Uh, you're asking them to invest in this. So you've got to make the case when you deliver that and do not think that the fact that one person consumed your content is making the case. It is not. Uh, making the case means what you said earlier, it's got to be the right kind of account. That's the first, you know, if, if it isn't, forget it, get rid of it. 
But if it is the right kind of account now, what's the body of evidence that the sales rep has? You may have a crappy body of evidence. Tell them that, give them what you have, and then they can prioritize uh, the way that they need to on it. But you can't, can't just send over one lead anymore and say, okay, go do this. Because you can't tell if it's a good one. They can't tell if it's a good one. It's probably not a good one. Yeah, I love this concepts come up in the past quite a bit of marketing really works for sales. And we actually had a whole episode where with the concept of um, think of your marketing department as a separate company and your job is to sell, but it's to sell your leads to sales. (laughs) And if they're happy with them, then you have an awesome relationship. If sales like sales loves it when marketing, people always think it's a fight. It's like, well, then you're doing it wrong because when marketing is delivering good shit to sales, sales loves marketing. They're like, give me more of this. You're making me money. Yes. I love it. Uh, It's just that marketers are usually just want to throw a bunch of stuff on the pile. Uh, yeah, so. and, and to to because I, I agree with all of that, I would just I would defend marketing a little bit and say uh, marketing hasn't had the ability to do anything other than throw shit on the pile um, in the past. Now that's over. So you know if you're hearing this and you still are throwing shit on the pile next week or next month, that's on you, uh, right? Uh, and you should not be doing that anymore. Yeah. And so it sounds like I mean this takes a little bit more work, but is the gist of the whole concept cluster your leads? Is that, is there just takeaway? Yeah. And you can add to that. We haven't uh, defined these things yet, though we should. Um, so your leads, people filled out forms, but there's two other kinds of evidence. The second most important kind of evidence is the people on your website who have not filled out forms. And so in B2B, we've been doing the research. It's consistent with everybody else. 3% of the people who come to your website fill out forms. We have acted as if the other 97% are worthless junk. Now, if you're a typical B2B company and you sell uh, software widgets that nobody in the rest of the world has ever heard of, how likely is it that there are all kinds of people coming to your website by accident? I mean, it just, that's not, that's not it, right? Ask marketing. No, like you don't get a shit ton of accidental traffic. No, people aren't lost on their way to Netflix or whatever. That's not what's happening, right? Um, So if they're on your website, there's some reason for it. Now we know a lot of web traffic is bots. So there, there's a bunch of that. And that is for your purposes, junk. There are also a bunch of people on your website who are competitors, students, people who are interested in a job, that kind of stuff. What we think is there's probably 10 to 25%, something like that, maybe a little bit more of your anonymous traffic that are from the same companies as the people who are in your leads. And these days, the technology that we have, even with the privacy regulations, we can still find out where a lot of that anonymous traffic is coming from. What company is it coming from? And so you've got your leads, you're gonna cluster those. You wanna cluster it with the evidence of who's there anonymously, because your leads are going to be at most, you know, one or 2% of all of that web traffic, but the anonymous traffic may add another 10% to it. And if it does that, that's a huge win for you. Now, you know about a lot uh, of the traffic. So cluster those things together. And then there's third-party intent. So third-party intent is just the, the digital footprints of people who are out looking around on the rest of the internet outside of your website. Um, and we can know what companies are looking for solutions that you sell. And that's uh, all, there's a lot of comp- intent data companies that sell that based yeah. on keywords and stuff. Um, they're gonna push you here are companies that are hitting these intent keywords. Yeah, so there's different forms of that, but uh, you know, when you add that in, so that's kind of, that's who's looking at other influencers, your competitors and all of that stuff. There's the anonymous traffic. Now, if your competitors are using third-party intent, they probably have a pretty good idea of who's looking at you. (laughs) They know, right? Right. You need to know who's looking at you too. So that's the anonymous intent on your website and then your leads. So when you come, go ahead. If you have content on your site and your competitors are using third-party intent data and you're not clustering your leads and they are, your content is basically helping them sell over you in some respects because <laughs> they're they're seeing hey this company had 10 people look at content on our site or on a third party site or on a competitor site which is yours we're going to go after them extra hard you're seeing 
a couple people from that company hit the content on your site and you're only seeing them one at a time and have different SDRs pursuing each one, right. your competition's going to kill you. Correct. They're yeah. going to focus all their time and energy on that deal and close it before you've gotten a, a voicemail in. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think right now you've got a little window of time in B2P still, you know, where you can do it the old fashioned way and not get absolutely clobbered. But, you know, this, the realization of this new way of doing things is it's moving pretty swiftly. We've been talking about this uh, for a number of years now. And then, you know, a company like the one I work for now does all of that for you. It takes all of those signals and brings them together and makes one coherent signal that says, these are the ones you got to pay attention to. This is an excellent transition. I was looking at the clock and thinking we got to get to this. Um, we're talking so much about the yeah. uh, handling the leads and stuff. Let's let's switch over to Carrie Cunningham and to Sixth Sense. Starting with you, Carrie, you've got a um, eclectic career. I guess I'd say you've yeah, been through companies, the companies that have been sold. You've you went you got a your master's in psychology. I think you've done projects for the department of defense on it. There's some yeah. really interesting stuff in there. I don't know. So <laughs> yeah. whatever you want to share with, uh, with, with the listeners, sure. there's, there's so much, but can you give us a little background on kind of your yeah. path to where you're at, um, at six cents now? Sure thing. Uh, so my business career is almost entirely accidental. Um, I ended up, I wanted to be a writer early. I did some sales early on B2B, uh, advertising sales. Then I, I uh, wanted to be a writer, so I stopped working full-time. I worked part-time trying to be a writer, but I worked part-time uh, as a BDR in a third-party BDR company. Uh, there were about 15 folks in that company when I started. Uh, what was, year was that, BDR? In the 90s. Uh, wow, so you were like first BDRs ever invented type this is of- a, uh, This is outbound prospecting all. There's hmm. no inbound, right? It's just outbound prospecting. Um, and we were, you know, it was a very small company when I joined, I stayed with the company for 17 years. We sold it in 2007. So I guess that tells you it was right around 99, something like that when I started, um, or 90 when I started. Um, and so I was VP of operations. Uh, we had, uh, call centers in Montreal, Austin, San Francisco, uh, and even uh, operations in Manila when we uh, when we finally sold the company. So after we sold the company, I worked for the the new company for a little while. And then I took five years off and did all of the fun stuff that you see. Every everything that's interesting that's in my resume is in that uh, four or five year period. Um, I've always been fascinated by uh, psychology, not being a a, a a therapist or something like that, but in research. Uh, and so I spent uh, four or so years working in research labs. Uh, and got uh, a degree in organizational psychology. Um, it's the work in the research labs that really uh, changed the way I see everything um, and understanding, um, one, how to think about solving a problem, answering a question, um, how to use statistics, um, all of those things that I was able to then bring back to uh, business when I got back into business. I was very lucky. I got a job at Serious Decisions, which uh, kind of the, you know, one of the foremost analyst firms in B2B, um, you get a tremendous education there, not only from the other analysts, but also from just looking at everybody's, you like get to see under the covers of everybody's operation. And, and I did that for about eight years. Uh, Forrester bought Serious Decisions, was there for a couple of more years. I was able to uh, be involved in the development of some of the really big models and frameworks and speak on main stage at the summit in front of 5,000 people a few different times. Uh, so that was a blast. I learned a ton. Uh, and then about 10 months ago, I moved to a company called Sixth Sense. Um, and Sixth Sense is software. It does all of the things that I've been telling everybody that they should do that I've been saying for years. Um, and it's, it's a package that essentially does all of that for you. Primarily, I think the way to think about it is if I get leads, if I want to know who's on my website, if I want to know who's out looking around third-party intent, our solution uh, captures all of those signals, and then it brings it together, uses AI to figure out what that signal means and says, okay, well, here's a set of buyers who are early in their journey. Why don't you send them stuff or get them to your website, but then leave them alone. Here's a set that we think sales needs to talk to now because they're going to be buying stuff. And so we use AI to prioritize those opportunities using all of those signals. And there's capabilities also for, you know, for the, for the early stage ones, 
within the product, you can just set, you can have uh, ads placed in front of them. You can have emails, all of that kind of stuff. So you can, you can do delivery of stuff too. Uh, so that's what we do. And I came to six cents because in the past I've been telling people to do all of this stuff and there, there wasn't a platform that did it all well. They're like, great, but how do I need just yeah, a giant yeah, and whiteboard and some spreadsheets and how do I yeah. And it's frustrating for, for me. And I think for our clients at serious decisions that I'm telling them to do all of this stuff and they get all excited about it, but it's really hard to do. They're like, now, um, how, how do we make the systems? There is no existing MarTech to make this right. happen. And I think you were back to the full circle at the beginning. You said we're doing it all wrong, but you pointed out, well, we're doing it all wrong because we're using the tools we have. We don't yeah. have the right tool. Right. What are, you're going to use the tools you have. That's it. Use the yeah. right tool for the job. What, well, what happens when you don't have the right tool? Well, then you open the can of beans with a rock. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you lose a lot of beans that way. Yeah, That's the use the, the, right, the rightest tool you have, but at some point, somebody's got to make a right tool for the job. Yeah. And so that was, you know, um, when, you know, I watched uh, uh, this company plus a bunch of others over the years. And I finally did get to the point where I thought, okay, these guys are really, they've got the right tool now. And, and I'd like to help ensure that this gets into the hands of as many people as possible. So, so in some might... sense, pulling in intent data, um, is it pulling the information in from all the other places and basically analyzing it? Does it sit on top of Salesforce or whatever your CRM is, or is it its yeah. own standalone platform? Uh, so uh, all of those things. <laughs> so one is taking intent from a bunch of different sources. We have our own intent sources, but you can take it from Bombora or other sources as well, bring it right into the platform. Then we sit on top of marketing automation and Salesforce automation. So sitting kind of right on top of those things, pulling data from marketing automation, the leads data. Um, we look at all of the opportunity data in Salesforce to say, what are the opportunities that you're good at closing and build predictive models for what, you know, what, what are the ones that you're good at closing, not good at closing, bring all that data together so that we can have a model that recognizes when a new buyer that you should be paying attention to shows up, right? Okay. Um, what I said earlier about, you know, if you want to notice when you have two leads, that's pretty easy to do. You can do a report in Salesforce will tell you that. Um, if you want to notice when you have two leads or one lead plus this or one lead plus this plus this it starts getting really complicated really fast and then um, and that's defining the lead it's like how many touches do you have and at what so i imagine your system uh sorry i like did half a thought and then i'm moving on um i would say at what score are kind of these touches like how valuable are they a form fill versus somebody from this company visit our website and we don't know yeah. who it is versus somebody from this company visits some other site that has a keyword that's one of our keywords um so I imagine your system uses a ton of scoring, uh, scoring an individual lead then scoring probably, I mean, we're getting to account-based marketing. It's basically an account-based marketing platform for, I mean, it's, I hate to even call it account-based marketing. It's just how sales and marketing should work in this size yeah. of an opportunity by clustering into the account. Cause you have an account manager, not an individual touch manager, right? Like let's manage the account. You moved yourself through about the last three years of Six Senses messaging in, in about 30 seconds there. So that was that was awesome. That's exactly it. So we did call ourselves an ABM platform, but don't need more because this is just really how you should, exactly as you said, this is really how you should be doing it. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to design the process uh, from the beginning, knowing what you can do, you would design it this way. You would say, oh, okay, we got to see all the signals. We got to bring them all together. We'll score all that stuff. We'll have AI figure out which patterns actually matter. And then we'll get the patterns to our sales team. And it will make sure that the sales team applies the right level of effort where the patterns are right, less effort everywhere else. And that's how you do it. Well, now you can do it that way. <laughs> so that's got to, you know, when I, when, it, when I realized that, okay, now we can do this, uh, like I had to get into the action that was kind of my thing i think if if sales had been building the platforms instead of marketing in like the 90s yeah we would be 15 years ahead of where we are now as far as how the systems are working and something that six cents would have been created 15 years ago um or, or been 15 years ahead yeah. of where it is now because really I, I think it seems like this stuff was created for marketing and it's why sales kept not connecting with it. It was like, great. Now you have a place sales. It was actually anti-sales because CRMs were now all the training was about forcing sales to enter all the data. 
right. rather than catering to sales and providing them everything they need to pursue the best opportunities and close the most deals. Um, so this is, there's this pain in the development of technology. And it seems like this is getting to a mature place where we, we might start having platforms that, you know, the, the discussion of sales and marketing integration, hopefully one day will go away. Cause we're just like, wow, there was a period of time when sales and marketing were fighting and didn't agree and didn't get along and didn't know what each other was doing and weren't collaborating. Yeah. It's like, yeah. that was a weird period of time. <laughs> thank, thank goodness we get out of that one. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, that I think we we think at Six Sense. So first of all, we use our platform. Like everything inside Six Sense is run on Six Sense. So um, that it was also like a really important thing in coming to the company is, okay, this company actually uses its platform and is growing like crazy. It seems like it probably works. And then our our marketing teams and our sales teams, like there's a, there's kind of a big gray area where it's pretty hard to tell sometimes who's on which team because it's really just one team. Um, you must have happy salespeople. I think we have very happy salespeople. They've been making they've been making some bank. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but they get great opportunities. Everything comes through. Mm-hmm. You know, every everything comes with the signals. All the signals we talk about. Uh, everything that we've talked about this whole time is what our salespeople get. So many benefits when things work properly. One of them thinking of like when pitching a company on using a platform versus another, if the platform helps people, salespeople close more, not only are they closing more deals, but in a company when it's really difficult to close the deals, when the leads aren't as good, or it's, I mean, it all adds up to difficult to close deals. The same salesperson selling the same product could make more at one company versus another because of the processes and platforms you have in place. You have to pay that salesperson more and or a higher commission. When when your processes all work together better, you basically say, oh yeah, here's what a salesperson makes. Here's what a salesperson closes. You can pay a significantly smaller commission when, when the person when the average salesperson just closes a lot more because the salesperson is not interested in the commission percentage. They're interested in how many dollars does an average salesperson bring home? And that's it. So when you do these processes better, it isn't only we close more deals, but it's in the company gets to keep more of it because you don't have to be bribing the salespeople to keep (laughs) trying to work through the shitty processes and systems you have in place. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just everything works better uh, in that way. And to me, as, as has been really clear, it starts with first recognizing which are the, the organizations that actually are in market, right? And, and because we can see all of that data now, all of that signal, we, you know, we, you're never going to be perfectly perfect in predicting that, but you can get so much closer than you've ever been before. And the closer you get, the more you can invest in each one of those opportunities, the less you have to pay the sales reps when they close them, all of that stuff. I remember we even gave it a, I don't think I was the first one, but I came across it on my own. Uh, when I was working in sales and managing a sales team, I, I gave it a name and it was the good timing call. Mm. And we were like, how many calls do you have to make to get a lead or interest? And I was like, no, no, I want to know how many calls you have to make to where when you give the initial pitch, the person says, oh, good timing. As a salesperson, when you hear that or an SDR, BDR, you just, you're like, oh, I got one. <laughs> the, this is, this is done. I got it. When they say good timing and you've just made 300 calls. So you randomly got a good timing, but I feel like this would, this type of process massively increases the good timing response you get from somebody. Um, That's a a great way to think about it. That's all the salesperson wants to hear is good timing. Yeah. Great way to think about it. And then the salesperson's like, no shit. I know it's good timing because we got a process that works. We only reach out to good timing people. That's our thing. Or at yeah. least the, it isn't the percentage you were talking about at the beginning. That's terrible. Yeah. They're like, look, I can pay my salespeople half the commission because they have 10 times as more good timing calls. So they make way more money either way. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, we, you know, that in any given, uh, segment of B2B, market of B2B, probably only five to 10% of the accounts in that segment that are the perfect accounts to sell to are in market at any given time, right? So uh, if you've got a thousand accounts, maybe there's 50, uh, maybe there's a hundred of them that are in market this year, right? So even if it's only a thousand, you got to sort through a lot of companies to get to the hundred. 
Uh, and in the old days, the only way you could do that is by trying to talk to them all. Uh, that was be in front of all of them at all times so that right. you're always in front of them when they're in a good timing. Yeah. Right. And now we do it with data uh, and we leave the ones who are not in market alone, you know, and that's a big part of the reason that it's so hard to get a hold of prospects is because they're so tired of being contacted when it's not relevant. And, you know, so it's a, it's a big deal. It's not just that you're more efficient. It's that you're making it easier in the future to do these jobs right? by not yeah. being so crappy. Less uh, friction. You wear people yeah. out versus not wearing them out. Yeah. Right. Marketing has, and sales as well, but email marketing came around. I'd love to see a friction graph. And I'm sure yeah. in the early 2000s, when our company started selling large lists for email marketing, you'd see this massive spike in the sales and marketing friction. Yeah. Where they're just like, oh God, yeah, now everybody's getting bombarded suddenly. And so they're stopping answering the phones. They're stopping answering email. They're just totally cordoning themselves off. And then uh, the, the more information you have, and this is one of my, why I hate some of these um, data privacy laws. I think they go way too far, but when sales and marketing has more information, intelligent platforms like Sixth Sense can actually help create less friction, not more friction, not exactly old right. school blast, mass spam type things, reach out to everybody at all times. It's reduce the friction because you know who the right people are, when the right time is um, versus, yeah, hit everybody at all times in the face. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to get back. You know, we, uh, we abused emails and things for so long that now there's uh, very strict regulations everywhere. That's going to work against the buyer. It's going to be much harder to get and find what you want uh, as a buyer. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's not going to be good for anybody, but it's necessary because there had to have been some pushback. Uh, so at some point, hopefully we, we start working in these process and the ways we've been talking about and can gradually win back some trust. Uh, and yeah. Get, get I, uh, one of my favorite things to say is marketing ruins everything. Cause we talk about marketing listeners are all marketers. And I'm like, Hey, listen, you, me, all of us that do marketing, we all ruin things. We find something that works and we use it as fast as we can. We use it all. We kill the golden goose because we're afraid somebody else will get any of those eggs. Right. So we're just like butcher it fast and everybody jumps in. There's a feeding frenzy. We start biting each other and then we move on and to find <laughs> the next golden goose we can slaughter. Um, and that's just kind of what marketers do. It's great to see a platform that's making things better and, and uh, creating a little less of that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we've, we've run through this. Any last, any parting thoughts, words for, uh, for the listeners here? Yeah, I would only say, you know, because a lot of times it, it's weird when you tell people they've been doing it all wrong for a long time. Sometimes they don't like that. Um, and uh, so I, I do want uh, marketers to know that um, I've certainly been one of those people doing it wrong for a long time. Uh, and I think, you know, there, there's no shame in that. Uh, Advances in, in science and business and process, they happen over time and you get better and better as you go. But we're at an inflection point where it's time to move on from what we've been doing. Like now you've got, now is it time to move on. Look, uh, you're oh, in an abusive relationship. It's not your fault. You didn't even know it, but there's right. a better way. Let us show get you out. that. <laughs> get out. And then don't, I guess this is the other one is even if, if you think, you know, we're not very good at the lead management stuff yet, and we haven't done lead scoring and all of that stuff. So we, you know, we kind of got to get our act together and then we can think about this other stuff. No, skip that other stuff, leapfrog it because you're just going to spend more time alienating your sales reps, pissing off your sales reps, trying to roll a rock uphill, skip all of that and move forward. It's yeah. just, you don't need to be bad at this to eventually be good at it. The process to move forward is get five people in your company. All go to Sixth Sense website, look at some content. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then they will they will come find you once you've done that. A hundred percent. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, we're gonna have all the information on um, on Carrie uh, Carrie Cunningham. I love that last name. One of my favorite uh, football players of all time. But uh, Carrie Cunningham will have all his information in the show notes from this show. Um, anywhere we're going to have, we got your Twitter here at, uh, cunning underscore carry your LinkedIn company, Twitter, anywhere else that people should go to find you. 
That's it. I'm starting a, a podcast. Uh, so it's called The Science of B2B. Maybe we'll reverse roles next time around. Awesome. I love anything with B2B <laughs> in it. Um, fantastic. So uh, check out the show notes on ifyoumarket.com for more information on Kerry Cunningham and how to find him and things like LinkedIn. You just you type in the name and people pop up. It's nice. And then on behalf of the If You Market team and Kerry Cunningham of Sixth Sense, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.